Profit is not a dirty word. And that is something that I get really frustrated at the trope that we have to listen to all the time, which is, well, none of us got into this to make any money. Why not? Welcome back to That Vet Life, a podcast for veterinary mentors and mentees. My name is Dr. Mariah McCauley, and this week I am talking with Dr. Angela Hoffman. Better known on Instagram and TikTok as the San Diego Vet, Angie is a practice owner of a small animal hospital who absolutely loves sharing her experience with veterinary students and new grads. Her journey to veterinary medicine didn't follow the traditional route, which makes her experience all the more valuable if you are a vet student. Listen along as she shares her story and highlights her passion for practice ownership. In the second half of the episode, Angie shares her mentorship experience and how it was invaluable in influencing who she has become as a practice owner and a mentor. If you are a vet student who's looking for a mentor in practice ownership, this is an episode you want to listen to. So with that, let's jump into today's episode. All right. Well, Angie, welcome to the show. I have been looking forward to recording this episode. And as we were talking in our preamble, we got a lot to talk about. So with that, let's jump into what is your veterinary story? Like, where does this all begin for you? It was a journey. <laughs> it was certainly a journey. I was that typical kid at, you know, five or six that I want to be a vet when I grow up. And the short version is I went to this really interesting little, I grew up in this little small town, Oklahoma, but it was a corporate headquarters for an oil company. And so very much a bubble and the people sitting next to you, like someone could have been in Singapore the year before and someone was in London. And I say this because it, it informs our education. It was a small town. And so there were no other schools. There wasn't like this high flying corporate, you know, white collar executives could say, oh, I'm just going to pull my kid out and send him to private school or, you know, send him to the other school in town because there were no other schools in town. So we all kind of benefited from a really elevated educational system that we normally would have had. But the downside of it for me was it was very competitive. We had the most national merit finalists per capita in our class in the state. And I looked at it and went, oh, I'm getting B's in math. Like I can't get into that school. I'd already counted myself out from that just because I was in this just bubble of super high achievers. And, and I knew that vet school was difficult and I thought, well, English is easy. So I just kept signing up for English classes when I did go to college and ended up with this English degree. Didn't really want to teach. So I went back for a couple semesters and got a journalism degree. And that was what I did for a while. That was in, in the Midwest in university of Kansas. We came out to San Diego and I immediately started having kids. I think I was all of, was I 26 when I had my first one? I had four kids in six years and that will put the kibosh on doing a lot of things. So what I had done in, in my initial foray into journalism was I was working on a copy desk and I got to do an internship at the Dallas Morning News, which was super cool and amazing. It also means you go to work at three or four in the afternoon and you get off at one in the morning, which is amazing when you're 25 and you don't have a family. <laughs> I knew that wasn't going to be super sustainable with the family. So I just kind of kept my hand in, in some things around our neighborhood, just working in like those free papers, you know, that almost every mm -hmm. place seems to have that come out every week. And I was doing a little bit for them. And then I, what really jump started me back into vet med was I was doing some work. I got on the board as a communications director for a local 
nonprofit that worked with our county animal shelters. And these are the, the county shelters that don't have the privilege of being no kill. They t- have to take everything that comes in and they definitely needed help. So I, I really enjoyed doing that. I would write their press releases. And at that time, back in the late nineties, I was getting articles in the paper and writing things like that. Well, I can't stay away from anything. So when I was there long enough, then, you know, you hear about all the fostering that they need done. So I started doing that. And then I ended up taking a paid position at one of the shelters as the adoption counselor. So I would take the animals and kind of getting to know them and temperament testing on the dogs and things like that. And then would meet with people when they came to the shelter and go, oh, this might be a good choice for your family because I would get to know them well. And this feels like that if you give a mouse a cookie book, yeah, you know, like if you do this, then this, then this, then this, <laughs> and it keeps happening. So when you're doing that and when you're fostering things, you're at the vet a lot. And when you're at the vet a lot, even back then, it was, you know, hey, you kind of like what you're, do you want, do you want to work here? And so I ended up working part-time for a couple of different vets throughout the years. And then one that I did end up going to after I got out of vet school, I was there for, gosh, I can remember us being concerned about Y2K and the computers. So <laughs> tells you how long ago that was. I have done everything. I was doing the receptionist stuff. I was doing assistant stuff. And after a while, because I can't stand not knowing stuff, I was like, well, I mean, I could do an RBT thing. So I did California at that time and still does have a, an alternate route. So you can use a combination of on the job training and college classes when you continuing education, thing like that to sit for the test. So I did that. And even with my four kids that were only, I have four kids in six years, I did that. And that was kind of my sanity. I would go to work and it was really nice. Love my kids, love my family, love staying home with them. And also it is true that, you know, you can, you can use a little stimulation outside of that. I know you can understand that as a new puppy mom. I need uh, some different stimulation than this. So that was really, it was just really fun. And I sort of felt like I grew up, the, the owners of the clinic were a husband and wife and just a, a fun, small little clinic. And I learned so much and I got to do so many things and I really loved it. And then uh, there came a time when we moved away, not very far, but just up Northern San Diego County. And it was not too long after that, that everything hit. The economy went in the toilet. My house was going to be foreclosed on. My marriage had crumbled. And I was sitting there going, okay, what do I do? And I called the clinic and said, hey, I don't suppose you guys need any help. And the practice manager at the time had answered the phone. She's like, are you kidding me? Somebody didn't show up. Like, that's why I'm answering the phones. When can you be here? And I found my way back to that. And it was very comforting and nice and... um just a real lifeline when I needed, I needed to make some money. I needed to do something to kind of jumpstart where I was. It was just nice. It was kind of like another home for me. At that time, I had a guy that I'd been teching with who had gone to Ross and he came back and he'll be the first one to tell you, he was a little bit of an idiot when he went, just kind of, you know, was like, yeah, I'll do this and it'll be fine. Like he was thinking about getting tattoos on his face. And I was like, you don't want it. Come on. You know, maybe that's not for you, which a fine choice for anybody, but for him, he was just kind of going down this road and he was like, he came back and he was such a good doctor and he was so dedicated. And he was like, I failed all of my first tests and I really had to figure out like, do I want to do this? And I thought, wow, that's really cool that he was able to do that. And they gave him a great education. That's really neat. Don't think about it for a couple months. And then I see this ad in like, you know, DVM 360 or something magazine that was sitting around and it was for Ross and it just something in my brain clicked. And I went, 
you could do that. No, you can't. No, you can't. Yeah, you could. Oh, hold on. And I don't know what happened to my, like, I wasn't looking for it. It was like something just implanted in my brain. Fast forward, I did start doing some prerequisites. I ended up not going to Ross, but to St. George's. But I did that. I was 42 when I started. And the kids came with me at different parts. And then I came back and did my clinical year at Georgia. And then I came back and I did go to that same clinic. This time it just had one owner there. The husband and wife had split up and the wife owned the clinic. And I went back and joined it. And at that time it was a four doctor practice. And yeah, and I just jumped back in there, which was, it was a little bit weird. And I would see clients, you know, and I'd been gone for a while, but I was like, I know I remember you and I know your dog. And sometimes, sometimes they would look at me and be like, uh huh. And like sometimes they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, I do. I do know who you are. And I was like, hi, you know me? Like, I'm Angie. Oh, I'm Dr. You know, Hoffman now. But anyway, and I'm sure some of them were like, I don't know you and I don't care, but cool. It was interesting because I did have, you know, there were techs there that I'd worked with when I was a tech. And, and it was a little bit of an adjustment, but all in all, it went really well. And so that is the veterinary journey <laughs> to that point. Was that too long? No, no, not at all. Like, I feel... There's so many little bits to it that like if we had just been in like, oh, so you went to St. George's, you were in your 40s and now you're a practice owner, like you're missing out on all those little details of like you wanted to be a vet, like something in you when you were very, very small said, this is what I want to do. And of course, like life happens, you go through things, Um, your schooling was influential to your decision to whether or not you initially went to vet school because you were kind of like a a big fish in a very, very, very big pond. So it makes you feel very small. And like you said, you didn't feel like you could do it at the time. Then like going through your story and just adding all these different little layers and these little influences. And I, I totally relate to that little bit of back and forth that you had in your mind of, can I do this? Oh, I don't know. Like, like everyone has had that at some point, whether it's related to vet school or their first job or just like little things. So I feel like all those little details are so, so important. And so like bringing us back into the core of what we'll talk about today, like you graduated vet school and now like what happened between that and and becoming a practice owner? Like also, I guess the bigger question is, why did you want to become a practice owner versus just an associate? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I was just steeped in it. When I started at that little mom and pop place, they had just purchased it, gosh, I think a year or two before, and it was kind of an underperforming place. They liked it because it had a place to live up above the clinic so they could minimize their costs and they could just kind of sink everything into that and kind of build it up. And that was a great opportunity for them. And I, being there for as long as I was, I mean, off and on for 12 years before I went to school, I got to see it through a lot of ups and downs, just as growing a business, ups and downs in the economy. And what I came away with was, first of all, I have a lot of interest in this. I was always trying to go, hey, what if we streamlined the appointments and we did this? And I really didn't get a lot of buy-in. <laughs> I like they would look at me sometimes and be like, we're doing fine. And I mean, and they were, you know, they were building the business and it was fine. But I, my brain, when I look back on it now, is like, oh, you needed to be a business owner. You needed to be an entrepreneur because I was just like always kind of picking at things and going, but what if she goes here and does this? And then while she's seeing these appointments, you're in surgery and we could maximize yada, 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 organizing the, the clinic and things like that. But what I took away from it was, and I've definitely feel like a <laughs> such a fogey because I would tell people like in vet school, 
And people now, I'm just like, when they get worried about something, like either in vet school, it was honestly, I remember classmates going, are we even going to find jobs when we get out? And of course, you know, that seems silly now. Or now, like, are we all going to burn out or what's going to happen? And I just have to go, look, I've been through a lot of this and I do not have all the answers in any way, shape or form, but I've just been on earth a long time and I've seen a lot of stuff. If you just go in and you kind of just do the best that you can, you've had a lot of good training. 99% of veterinarians are just out there to make the world a better place. You know, we just want to learn the good stuff and do the good things. And there's always going to be bad reviews and there's always going to be downturns in the economy. And there's always going to be, you know, jerky clients or difficulty hiring people. You know, those things are going to come and go. If you get the good training and you have a good outlook on things and you know that you're just out there to help pets and help people and you take care of yourself and are halfway decent at business, you can run a great business and you're going to make a lot of money right now. And that may not be the thing that you're into, but why not? You know, (laughs) like we go through a lot of training. And I think one of the things that I am probably getting off on a tangent, but I don't want to forget to say profit is not a dirty word. And that is something that I get really frustrated at the trope that we have to listen to all the time, which is, well, none of us got into this to make any money. Why not? Yeah. Why can't it be? Nobody says that about MDs. Right. Nobody says that about human medicine, you know, about nurses or doctors. Nobody says that if somebody wants to go open a dry cleaner, like we don't do that. But, and I have all my theories on that, but you know, I think it comes down to being a, a caretaking role. And we hear this a lot for predominantly, you know, women driven professions like teaching, social Mm -hmm. work, you know, veterinarians, things like that. It's a lot of, well, now, honey, you don't really need to make a lot of money. You got into this to help people or help animals or whatever it is. And I kind of call bullshit on that. So that was um, swinging back to your original question. I just knew after seeing all of this for so many years that this was the path for me that not only was I interested in it, I saw it could be done and it just really appealed to me. And I knew that despite the, you know, age is just a number. And I will tell anybody that like, go to school. If you want to go to school, change professions, do whatever. I also knew that the reality was I was getting out at 46 and not, you know, 26 or 27. So I didn't have a ton of time. So I didn't have time to go through an internship, to go through residency. Like if I wanted to maximize my earning potential in the years that I was going to be working, practice ownership was going to be the Easiest sounds like the wrong word, but it's going to be the most direct way to affect that. Now, just before we get on with the show, a quick word from our sponsor, which is the Thrive community from us here at VetX. If you're struggling with managing time, feeling like you're an imposter or burning out, then you need to make a change. The good news is you are not broken. You're not a bad fit for the profession much more likely you are missing some super important foundational skills no one is teaching at university. Skills that you will learn as part of our VetEx community. The Thrive Community is a race accredited professional skills course where members receive training, toolkits and one-to-one coaching to develop these skills. So join hundreds of other vets who've changed their careers for the better as a Thrive member. To learn more and find out if the class is a good fit for you, Visit vetexinternational.com today. Now back to the show. So I hope you enjoyed part one. Now we're going to get back to part two of that Vet Life podcast. Over to you, Mo. Hey, 
Yeah, that, that sounds like it was the best fit for you. And it wasn't just a, well, look at the time I have left. How do I make up for like the financial aspect of it? And you, but um, mm-hmm. it was the fact that like you found that that was your niche. Like that was where you found excitement and fulfillment in your job was when you were on that business ownership, that managing side of things. And that's something that I feel like we don't always talk about enough is that like, yes, you can become a veterinarian. That's such a broad term, but it's when like, I guess like when I talk to vet students about graduating, it's like, okay, vet school is going to prepare you with the necessary skills and information to survive. It's what you do after that, that will turn you into a great veterinarian. So if you graduate vet school and you just kind of go into some job, like that's not why you went into vet school. Like, come on, you have this great mind, these great abilities Go and search out ways to continue to learn. Like it's lifelong practice for a reason. And there's so many ways to do it. There's just so many ways to vet med. You know, it's impossible even in that four years to learn all of it. So absolutely go out there and and find something. And if the first thing doesn't work, you know, try try something else. And I feel like we have such a good community right now with, you know, on Instagram and other places just to go, oh, I, you know, I didn't even know you could do that as a vet. Like I see people all the time that are oh, wow, that's that's a really cool way to use your degree. Yeah, I know, like hashtag, um, or not hashtag, but shout out Vestagram community there. But like for you, like you, you're now in this awesome position where like you can talk about how you became a practice owner, which is a slightly different pathway than the typical veterinarian who graduates, which is awesome because it highlights, like you said, that other group of people that We don't talk about enough, um, but they're there. They exist and they do an awesome job as practice owners, as veterinarians. And also like just as a mentor, like you are a mentor as a veterinarian, but you're also a mentor as a practice owner. And you're able to do that again, like just in your practice, but then also through Instagram and other social media um, platforms. So on the, the mentorship side of things, I guess like, did you have someone who was a mentor of sorts when you were looking into practice ownership? Yeah, the couple that I had kind of grown up with, you know, in their vet clinic, I really identified with the woman who stayed on as the practice owner at that place that I went back to. And we were friends. I really thought that we were very much alike in our outlook on things and things like that. So I I definitely looked up to her as a peer, but also a mentor because she was, you know, farther along in the journey that I was. And then when I came back from school and started there, and after I was there for a couple of years, I kind of came to realize like, this isn't really, this isn't the mentorship I need anymore. I think I had changed in some ways and I was, I can still be very, don't get me wrong. I'm very, uh, I don't know if it's a next thing, very cynical and very, you know, like, no, I don't know. I don't want to do that. Or I, these people or whatever. I don't know. I just became, I think I, I became a little bit more positive in my thinking. And there were things that, this person was doing that just didn't feel good to me. And when I look back on it now, it was super painful to go through because I had, it was like a breakup and I had months, literal months and probably years that I was hand wringing and going, well, it's not that bad. And, you know, she said this, but I think she means that. And there were a lot of just negative things thrown around that because we were buddies kind of weren't aimed at me. But when I looked back on it, I was like, oh, it's, I was kind of normalizing some behavior toward people. And I'll, I'll give you one example that she thought this was quite funny. And there was a point where I guess I did too. And then I realized, well, that wasn't helpful at all. I'd be in surgery. One of my first surgeries trying to do something. Cause you know, when you're in vet school, well, you, you get a couple, you know, maybe three mm-hmm. or four if you're lucky. And then it's, here you go. 
And her idea of mentoring you through a surgery was to walk by and go, are you done yet? Oh my goodness. And that was it. <laughs> and it was quote unquote funny. And um, there just became a point where I went, this is not okay. And she would, if I would say, Hey, I am in trouble. I think I need X, Y, Z. Like she'd come in and scrub in and help me, but never in a way like, Oh, absolutely. Let me show you. It was very much like, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then she would come in and just do it because she was quite a good surgeon. And like they were you're bothered done. To her. Is that the kind of sense you got? Yeah. I mean, it, it was ending up and because I had normalized it and I was like, okay, I'm probably ending. Like I need to, okay. What do I need to do? Like, how can I fix this? I'm always looking internally and going, okay, well, what, what could I have done? And I really, it took a while before I realized that's not okay. Like, this is not how you treat somebody who's new. And I used to think, well, maybe it's just because we were sort of peers and she just kind of treated them. But I saw her with new grads. I saw her with, you know, a lot of people. And that's just one example of many of the things that were happening. So I had come back to this place knowing I wanted to be a practice owner. We had talked around the subject of, Hey, it would be fun to get another practice. And, you know, let's have you come back here and get your feet under yourself as a doctor for a couple, three years. We'll find another place. Like, you know, you'll run that one. When it came down to it and it, it took a while and it, it was the two or three years. And I was like, so are we doing this? What's going on? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I said, okay, well, I've talked to my attorney and he, he just wants to see the, all the financials. And at first I got, oh yeah, of course. And then later in the day walking by me and going, well, I don't know why you would need that though. Fast forward to two months later, I still don't have these financials. So mm, big red flag. Sketchy you know? there, yeah. Right. Yeah. And it was, and again, I'm turning it on myself and going, well, maybe I'm asking too much. Am I being pushy? And, I, and oh my, I look, I almost can't even say that right now. Like it makes me throw up in my mouth because of course, if I had been talking to anybody else but myself, I would be going, are you kidding me? Look at this. This is not going to happen. <laughs> even if you do let it happen, like this isn't the kind of person you probably want to get into business with. Yeah. But it was hard because I was so invested and it just did. It just took a while for me to get back to that. But that's, I think about that a lot now when I think about if I'm going to let somebody into business with me, how should I act? Or if I have a new grad or if I have like, we have vet assistant externs that come to us. I just had my first vet student, my first year vet student. That's so so exciting. It really was. And I think back to this a lot and I don't want to live in a negative space, but I think it's such a useful example that I have to go back and go, what would I have wanted? What happened in my situation and how can I make this better for this person? Cause you know, as a mentor or a mentee, there are days when you're just like not feeling it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I have to go and collect myself and go, okay, my headspace isn't great. And I have told people before, sometimes I go, you know, I just don't have my A game today. So I'm going to do X. Can you do Y? And then we'll circle back. You know, I think just being transparent about it is fine. You don't have to be perfect <laughs> to be a mentor or a mentee, but just recognizing those things that didn't work for me and really trying to figure out what would have worked for me. And then also, of course, it's not just about me, like this person might learn differently or, you know, what could they need that they're not getting and, and things like that. So that, that really shaped a lot of how I feel about this today. No, absolutely. And I think it's so important to talk about those negative experiences because like, yes, here on the podcast, like we'll talk about all the really awesome mentorship experiences and what it looks like to have a good mentor. But it's also incredibly valuable to talk about those times where you were promised one thing and you didn't get that. Or over time, you started to identify these what we call red flags in mentorship, not so that people can be like, oh, I'm on the lookout for that. But 
like, and again, it's how you respond to those situations. So for you, like, I, as I'm hearing this, like, it took some time for you to really identify, like, what the true problem was, and then trying to figure out how you best respond to that. But then also, like, how does that influence you as a mentor? Like, you don't want to be now become this cynical person who doesn't like to have mentees or, or treats them the same way because someone was not nice to you. Mm-hmm. Like, no, you're flipping the script and you're saying, all right, that did not go the way that it was supposed to. However, I'm going to figure out how I can create a positive experience and set someone else up to be successful, not just to the same level, but maybe even lift them higher. And that is the exact kind of influence that we need here in this profession, especially right now. Like Things are kind of crap. I'll just be honest with you. But there are awesome little nuggets of mentors like yourself who are willing to kind of step outside of of their comfort zone and just take on these new grads, take on other veterinarians who have been in the profession for a while and to say, you know what? Here's my experience. Here's what happened to me. This is what I want to do about it. Do you want to come alongside? And those are the kind of things like that makes me so excited. Like you can probably hear it in my voice. I'm getting talking faster and just getting more giddy about this, but I'll stop there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I think I'm glad. And that's why I am so glad to be here because I do love to hear that. And it's not that, you know, you or I or, you know, people like us are going, oh, toxic positivity, everything is great. It's not. And that's okay. But I think the more we can call this other stuff out and be transparent about it, we don't have to live in it. We don't have to wallow in it. But I think it's so useful to just not normalize it. Because I mean, you know, when I was coming up, I would hear the same things, you know, both from this mentor and from from other people kind of at that time. And it was very much the, well, I went through it and you have to go through it too. Or, you know, well, I went through this and I'm fine. And, yeah, and that's that the phrase that like living in that and yeah. it's awful. It like grates like sandpaper against your skin whenever I hear that. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh, no. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to stop you right there. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. And that's why I'm so glad that we do have like this new group of veterinarians who are there to flip the script and really figure out like, what does this profession need? How do we move it forward? So I guess like then like, let's look at your own practice. And and like you said, you just had your first student, which is so exciting. So what are some of the things I guess we'll spend the next like five minutes really kind of nailing down for like, if you have a veterinary student or a new grad who's listening, who wants to come to your practice um, and see practice with you, what are some of the things that you as a mentor are hoping to do or hoping to provide for your vet students? Oh my God, anything they want. Seriously, come and I will do anything you want. What I think we need to see more of is more women, people of color, LGBTQ. These are who we need in our, you know, in our leadership roles, in our practice ownership roles. And we've been excluded, you know, up until now. So one of the things that I really hope to do just by being out there, because listen, I'm a 53 year old woman on TikTok. Like this is not the demographic they were looking for. <laughs> hey, here we are. And I love it. Like I, something about that, I got on that app and I was like, oh, this is really fun. It was not made for me, but I'm taking it. I love it. But anything I put out there, like I still have that kind of Midwestern girl and maybe Gen X, or maybe it was just like the way that I was brought up, like, don't get too big for your britches. And let's just, you don't need to put yourself out there. And this whole influencer society, like I can remember 10 plus years of thinking like, oh yeah, everybody's carrying around a cell phone and just like, oh, look at me. And <laughs> I'm over it. Like I'm out there and going, look, I am an older person who went to vet school. If you want to change your life, you can do that. 
I am a person who just plunged into practice ownership. I had no real business training. I certainly don't have an MBA or anything else and I'm doing just fine. So like if I can do it, anybody can do it. I just love to show people that. So I'd love to talk to anybody, techs, CSRs, people in tech school, vet students, anybody. If you just want to come and learn about anything business related, come on down. I, with my team, I keep my books not completely open, but pretty open. Like I share a lot of key performance indicators with my whole entire team. And I share a lot of them on social media too. Like here's what our revenue is and here's what our cost of goods sold are. Like all that stuff. Transparency is our friend. (laughs) It shouldn't be a secret. So I'm happy to share, you know, anything I've done to start my business if that helps people out. One of the things I did in my fourth year at University of Georgia was they had a practice management rotation. And it was so fun. It was so cool. We got to go around to different practices in the Southeast and they would just let us come in. I think they got a good deal on like little report that we put out later, but it was really neat because we were just like flies on the wall. We would sit there and time like how long it took people when they were in the waiting room and when they were in the exam room, we would walk around and like look at their equipment. Mm-hmm. And then we would put all these little financials together that they kind of showed us to and we would give them a report. So that was just invaluable to me as far as seeing how some places were run and learning to sort of read a P&L and stuff like that. So I would like to give that experience to people. I'm happy to say I'm not just a one doctor practice anymore. I have an associate. Yay. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) But a small practice that's not corporate, you know, and I'm not here to bash corporate. I think it has its place. I've worked for corporate. This is not, it's not us versus them. But I think what we are seeing is a lot of like, you know, your Banfields and your Blue Pearls and things like that. And BCA is going, hey, yeah, veterinary students come to an externship here. And it's it's easier to do for them or they're more visible. So I really encourage any kind of um, vet students, like I said, or vet tech students, anybody, search out places like this too. We might not be quite as easy to find, but it's super useful because you are in the nitty gritty every single day. Definitely there's use in, you know, doing all the stuff you do in, in your fourth year as far as going to seeing super great, interesting surgeries and neurology, you know, and doing all that stuff and seeing that super high level medicine. This is more just like day to day getting stuff done, you know, working within what the client can afford, working within what equipment you have. I'm dealing every day with like, hey, the washer broke. I'm like, okay, let me figure out how to deal with that. And it it just really, I think when you work in a smaller place like that, it gives you a sense of what it takes to run an entire business. And I've got to tell you, when you have a team and our team might be six people on any given day, when it's humming along, and even if you hit a speed bump, like when everybody is together and on the same page and working, like I just don't find anything like it. Like I think it is such an exciting high when you just, and then you, at the end of the day, we kind of close the doors, lock the doors and go, we did that. Like we did that. And we employed all of these people. All of these people get to go home and have a nice dinner and live in their house because of the salary we're paying them. And we helped the community. You know, we took care of all these animals and, you know, everybody kind of feels good because there was a job well done. That's just kind of what I hope to give people is a little bit of a different experience than maybe you get with a lot of other externship things. No, I think that is insanely cool. And like what I'm hearing from this, like if I was a vet student, I'm hearing that there is someone who is a practice owner who's willing to take on a vet student and actually spend time with them. Like that doesn't happen very frequently, but also just that you are willing to kind of share your trade secrets of what you've learned along the way about practice management, which I will be probably not the first one to say we don't get a lot of that in vet school. 
lot, if any, (laughs) to Mm -hmm. be honest. And that would be insanely valuable, regardless of if you go into a practice owner position, just like even as an associate veterinarian, because then you will be able to have more intentional conversations with your practice manager, with your practice owner, when it comes down to, hey, how do we make things better? You can be the one who's in the trenches and you actually know the jargon about what to talk about. Like that is insanely Yeah, I think valuable. it gives you such good context that you just don't get. It's that whole, if you, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And I think it can be easy. I, I often hear techs or veterinarians or CSRs, you know, they, I, I've heard them say things like, well, they say that we, you know, we're supposed to be making X amount of dollars. Like some clinics will track their revenue by the hour, kind of like restaurants do, you know, yeah. they let restaurants, they, they will let servers go and they're like, Oh, we're at this point. And some clinics will do that too, especially the corporates, but I know some other privates that do. And I've heard people say things like, well, there's no way we need to be making X by, you know, this one, because I'm like, okay, I know you don't know this and it's not coming from a, a bad place, but let me explain to you what the cost of running this clinic is. And you just don't see it. Like you don't see what the rent is and what the electricity is and what the internet is. And we just had a $4,000 pipe leak. Oh my gosh. We was at the clinic today with the drywall guy fixing that, you know, and there's just things like that. And then you've got to pay people and you may see what's on your paycheck. You don't see the payroll taxes that go into that. You know, you don't see all the, the money spent on maybe Indeed or wherever else to try to hire people the money that it's getting put into continuing education for people. It's a lot, all the business taxes and things like that. Um, and the cost of ordering your stuff, you know, those, the Simperica and all that stuff on the shelves, like that's thousands and thousands of dollars sitting on the shelves. And so I think that's where some of the discord comes from sometimes between workers and management. It's just because the management isn't sharing these things with them. And it's not to say like, when I tell my people this, it's not like, poor me, I had to pay for this again. You know, that's not it. It's just, hey guys, here's where we are as a business right now. And we had like those huge boom months in summer, which we'll do because it's always crazy in the summer in vet med. And we lost staff and we were like running close to the bone. And that means your girl here who was an RVT is like, I'm pulling blood and I'm taking out the trash. And I, you know, like it's just all hands on deck and you can do that for a little while, (laughs) but you better believe that I gave the few staff members that I had during that time, like they got bonuses because they were going above and beyond. And I shared all that with them. I was like, okay, so the good news is our revenue is really great, (laughs) but not so good as uh, I know everybody's working super duper hard. So here's something kind of help that. And then now we're in a place where we have pretty much enough staff. I kind of always think you need to be hiring just because (laughs) because things happen. But you know, we also don't have, I have some people that have been with me for a little while and I would love to give them raises. And I've had to say, I can't right now, but here's what I can do. And they're so great because, and I think it's because there's a lot of transparency and honesty between us. And they're like, oh, that's okay. Like, I, I understand, you know, I see the hole in the wall from the pipe. <laughs> like, I get it. When you put it in terms of like, we all understand that, right? Like you're a little low that month and then, you know, your car crops out. Yeah. It's that transparency that you have with your team and mm-hmm. just being able to share that, not just with your team, but also um, like with, with veterinary students who come through. I think that's like, that's an invaluable experience. Yeah. So I'm really kind of itching. Like, I know there's probably going to be a couple of veterinarians, uh, veterinary students, or even new grads who are like, I want to learn more from you, but I don't know where to find you. So where can people get in contact with you? Where can they find your information? Yes, please. I will to anybody. And even if you don't want to come to San Diego, which I don't know why you wouldn't, 
But if you can't, I'm happy to just talk to anybody. I don't mind getting the DMs, like just bring it on. I am on Instagram at the San Diego DVM and I'm on TikTok at that same handle. I'm probably more active on TikTok right now just because it's interesting me more. Facebook, I kind of gave up on a long time ago. I still have a, I have a professional page, but I don't really do much there anymore. So don't message me on Facebook, but the San Diego DVM on Instagram and TikTok. And I do have a website that's sddvm.com and I can get emails from there. And I'm happy, happy to talk to anybody about any aspect of practice ownership or going back to school or running a business, anything like that. I think that is fantastic. And all that information will be in the show notes because I know like there's, my goodness, like the number of vet students who want to be a practice owner, but they don't really get a lot of information. It's like you just got to go see practice with someone who's a practice owner in order to get your feet wet and really figure out what's going on. So I'm excited to see um, how many more students you get and definitely want to follow along on that journey. But I want to wrap us up here by saying thank you so much for taking us on the journey that you went on because like, we don't hear those stories very often, but I think it's so valuable for us to understand the, the journey and the challenges that other veterinarians have been through so that we can continue to learn from each other and just strengthen this community. So Angie, once again, thank you so, so much. You're very welcome. I'm so happy to finally get to talk to you. This is really fun. So with that, I'll say um, to you guys, thank you for listening to this week's episode of That Vet Life Podcast. And as always, you can find out more information on the VetX International community at vetxinternational.com. But until next week, y'all, see ya. And that's a wrap on today's episode of That Vet Life Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now, before you go, I have a quick request. Now, podcasts and communities, they grow the best and they grow the biggest when the members spread the word. So if you know someone who you think needs to hear this episode, or if you found value in this episode and want to share it, go ahead and share this with your friends. And also, don't forget to head over to vedexinternational.com and enroll in the VEDEX community for free to get access to a bonus version of this show. You'll also get some free swag and many, many other amazing benefits. Also, leaving a review of the show on iTunes would be greatly appreciated because, again, it just helps get the word out. But until next time, y'all, I hope you enjoyed this episode of That Fat Life.